This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Today's first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, and I'm reading from verse 6 to 12. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, This is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in their land as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down their high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground, to the very dust. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and a wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Hear the word of the Lord.
Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives. For the glory of your great name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here. Now, when Catherine and I got married almost 30 years ago... Better not forget that. We had great difficulty sorting out the list of guests for the wedding. Have you ever organised a wedding? It's kind of like uh, United Nations level diplomacy, isn't it? We decided that we could afford 120 places up at the Randwick Town Hall, very classy venue, and then the negotiations started. You may know that I'm from a very big family. We had 39 people at Christmas lunch. It's a big family. Not all of them existed then, mind you, but Catherine's is not so big. So that immediately produced an imbalance in the guest list. Then we had friends from uh, school and from uni and from work. And we had to figure out who we'd like to keep up with in the future as well. We had to make a bit of a judgment call. Who were we going to be friends with as time went on? In the end, after many evenings making lists and brutally crossing out the names of people we really rather liked, we came to our final list. The invitations were printed and sent and then the RSVs came in. RSVPs came in. Actually, just the other day, I was looking through a book that I hadn't opened for many, many years and I opened it and an old invitation to our wedding, one we hadn't actually sent, uh, popped out. There it was. It was kind of an interesting thing to see after all these years. But come the week before the wedding, there are still a few people not accounted for. And you can, bet, get, you can guess who those people were, the kind of slackers in their 20s who hadn't got round to it, um, the kind of people that um, you know, we were then, but now uh, in our 50s we think, oh, that's dreadful that they wouldn't respond in this way. One particular person I remember replied that she was unfortunately unable to come uh, hadn't responded until we called her, but she said, oh, yeah, no, I can't make it. It was a bit vague about why. Well, never mind. It wasn't until several weeks after the wedding that we discovered through a mutual friend that what she had been doing that weekend that meant that she didn't want to come to our wedding and didn't bother to RSVP was she'd gone bushwalking with a couple of friends. And that was it. Well, here was a clear statement about what our invitation meant to her, what our wedding meant was worth to her. She'd rather get leeches in a forest than take up one of the spots at our table. It's a bit mystifying, isn't it? We didn't really even have enough time to invite anyone else at that stage. What she had done was to treat our valuable invitation as if it was completely cheap and our welcome to be part of our lives, to celebrate this significant occasion with us as a nothing. For an invitation to a wedding is a very personal thing, isn't it? It's an invitation to be some part of something intimate and special, very personal. Now, this was a small uh, moment in a relationship between human beings, and I had almost forgotten it until this week, and I, I am over it, just to let you know, um, 30 years down the track. But as I was reading Jesus' parable from Matthew 22 this week, I was reminded of it. Because like our friend's behaviour, the response of the guests in this story is really quite baffling, isn't it? It's a bit weird. Jesus tells this story at a moment of heightened tension with the Jewish leaders. He's just entered into Jerusalem. And last week, 
We saw how he overturned the tables of the money changers. Remember that in the temple, because they were a sign of the great corruption and hypocrisy of the religious leadership in his day. It was a very provocative thing to do, a very edgy thing. It was speaking an uncomfortable truth and it was liable to get people very upset and indeed they did. And so is this parable about a wedding banquet. It's a story of a royal wedding too. Did you notice it? The person who is issuing the invitations is not just any old person, it's a king. And he's preparing a wedding feast for his son and we assume for his son's bride, although the bride doesn't get mentioned at all in this story. And he's invited some guests to join him. You can imagine that getting an invitation, not just to any old wedding, not just to the Jensen's wedding, but to a, you know, the wedding of a king, would have been really a significant deal. It would be saying, look, this is a, I, I, I want you to be a privileged and honoured guest at, my, at this wedding, at this great civilization, at this great celebration, I should say. Now, have you ever had an invitation like that? Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and uh, tell them the story of the best invitation you ever got. Take a minute to do that. Now, the finest invitation I ever got was uh, the finest meal. And by the way, you can continue that uh, marvellous anecdote over morning tea if you didn't get a chance to finish it. The finest meal I was ever invited to was at New South Wales Government House in the Botanical Gardens. It was to eat at the table of Governor Dame Marie Bashir. Um, And it wasn't just uh, kind of a lunch for several hundred people. This was an intimate lunch of about 30 people at the table, a formal sit-down lunch. And she was throwing this uh, lunch in honour of a person who had asked that I be invited to it. And sure enough, we got this invitation and it came in in a special envelope and I opened it and it had a gilt-edged invitation card inside with the swirly cursive writing. Um, It wasn't courier. Uh, it was you know, proper swirly writing, and it came in this specially stamped envelope. And on the invitation was a time and a date, the RSVP instructions, the security arrangements, where you had to park, and the dress code. Now, we live in the age of the better offer, don't we? So, you know, none of us likes to commit ourselves too early, and so we do sometimes hold off responding just to see if there's something else that might come up. But I, I didn't do that this time, you can imagine. Could I imagine a better offer than this? And so I responded almost immediately to the governor. Yes, of course, Dame Marie Bashir, I'd be delighted to attend. And on that day, I dressed and I behaved exactly how I'd been asked to. I did not wear my board shorts and thongs to have dinner with the governor. I parked in the right spot. I didn't park where she was supposed to park. Now, the system back in Jesus' day was somewhat different. You'd get the dinner ready, then you'd send for the guests, rather than have the RSVP and set an exact time. And so the host of this dinner, the king, sends his servants around to to those who are on his guest list, those privileged people. But they, says Jesus, refused to come. It's a very strange reaction. Jesus doesn't tell us why. They just refused to come. So he sent some more servants. After all, let's give those guests the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they misunderstood something. 
So the servants came and they said, hey, look, the fattened calf is pretty much done. It's on the spit. It's been roasting for hours. The places are set at the table. The musicians and the dancing girls are all rehearsed. Come now, the party's on. But these people didn't even bother to make their excuses. They didn't even cover up their disdain. They paid no attention at all to the invitation and just went about their farms and their businesses. They just ignored the servants. It's extremely rude, isn't it? And rude to the most important person in the land, the king himself, on his very special day. And it's the triviality, the everydayness of these excuses that's particularly galling. They're just the things of ordinary life, everyday life, aren't they? And they have their importance. It's important to work. It's important to go about your business. It's important to attend to your land. But to ignore an invitation to the royal wedding for these excuses? That's unheard of. We understand even now how unheard of that is. But while some were apathetic, others were outright hostile. You can see that in verse 6. They paid no attention to them. Verse 6, I said, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. They took great offense at this invitation and murdered the servants. Why did they do that? Jesus doesn't tell us why. Would you kill someone who's offering you some good news, an invitation to a wedding? And the response of the king is understandably strong. After all, to refuse the invitation of the king is to refuse the king himself. And so he comes and crushes the town from which these people came. To reject the messenger of the king is to reject the king. Now Jesus' audience would not have missed who was the target of this parable. And it would have annoyed many of them. It's a feisty piece of satire against the people of Israel, Jesus' own people. The People of Israel have been invited to be God's own special people, to live with him in his land, to enjoy his every blessing, to be with him. It's a special and personal invitation, and yet they had disobeyed his laws and they had rejected and even killed his prophets. Some of them were apathetic, didn't care. Some of them were outright hostile. What Jesus shows in this story here is just how tragically absurd these responses are, like rejecting an invitation to a wedding because you're too busy or because you strangely find it offensive to be asked to a wedding. But this is where the story takes a further twist because instead of, the noise, instead of a noisy party, the king is now left with the smell of roast beef wafting through his empty rooms and the music echoing down silent corridors. He's got a party He's dressed up, but there's no one there. So he says to his servants, those I invited did not deserve to come. Well, that's evident, isn't it? Why didn't they deserve to come? Simply because they didn't respond. There is a sense in which his judgment upon them gives them exactly what they wanted. They held his invitation as cheap or even as offensive or as an inconvenience. And so they spurned it. And so their place at the table has been given to someone else, as we see then in verse 9. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. Not the elite, perhaps, that you would expect to be at a king's wedding, the king's son's wedding now, but everyone, anyone. And so the feast is filled 
with guests who actually wanted to be there, people who responded to the invitation. Do you notice that he said there, the bad as well as the good? It wasn't just the upright and the decent and the noble that he invited, but literally anyone who would say yes, whatever their track record, whatever their past history, whatever their reputation. Well, Jesus is saying to his countrymen, he's saying, you've had God's invitation for thousands of years and yet you've treated it with apathy and hostility. Are you now surprised when the invitation is going to be thrown open to those who will not treat it with contempt, but will accept it gladly? God's generosity is not selective. It's open to anyone who will accept it. But you can't simply take it for cheap. That it is free does not make it any less, any, any less precious. That's not the world we live in, is it? We tend to think that if something is worth it, it must have a price on it. That something free must be something not worth very much. We value things according to money. And yet, there are things that are free because they're free gifts that are beyond price, that are extraordinarily precious. And so it is with God's invitation. His free invitation, which comes to all people, is not cheap. It is a precious and special thing. And I think here we should pause a little bit because the razor of this parable is hovering over us in our busy, absorbed, everyday worlds. The Lord God who made the heavens and the earth, and who made you, who made all good thing, every good thing that you enjoy, made life itself, is holding a wedding banquet for his son, wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to enjoy all the blessings of life with him. And he's invited all the nations of the earth to gather around him, with him. He's invited them to a place where there will be an end to all the strife that so marks our world. The trouble of our days will be at an end in this place. The blessings of life will be there to be enjoyed in abundance. The invitation to share in the wedding feast of God is a great privilege. That invitation has gone out. It's landed in your inbox. Will you open it? Will you come? It may be that you've been very, very busy. After all, there's so much to distract, absorb and divert us. We are perhaps the most overstimulated people who have ever lived in history. One of our greatest fears is being bored. And so we immerse ourselves in this frantic city of ours to the point where the opportunity to slow down and contemplate eternity escapes us. We've, but we've received an invitation to the greatest dinner ever thrown. And for many of us, it lies in an envelope on our desk like an unopened bill. But what are you going to do with it? How will you respond to the invitation that's come to you? It's an extraordinary privilege to be invited. It's a real prize, a seat at this table. To pass over it with apathy and a shrug of the shoulders... And a sigh at the sort of inconvenience. Oh, I have to go to the wedding. Is sad and absurd. It makes no sense to ignore it, just as it makes no sense the reaction of the people in this parable. 
But there's a further element to the story, you might have noticed, in verses 11 to 14. Because in the middle of the wedding, the king notices a man who's sitting there who's wearing the wrong clothes. Everyone else is dressed in black tie and evening gowns, but he's wearing his overalls and work boots or some other inappropriate clothes. Now, we should assume that in the context of the story, this is not because he couldn't afford them or because they weren't available or some reason that is actually not his fault. It's rather that this man is deliberately flouting the terms of the invitation. It's not just a faux pas. It's a sign of deliberate disrespect for the king. He's treating the wedding as if it's not a wedding. Indeed, he's treating the king as if he's not a king. He's eating the canapes and drinking the champagne, but he's showing utter contempt for the wedding party. And it's not a surprise when it says that the king has, has, had, has him removed from the party altogether. And Jesus uses some chilling words here. Throw him outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is the agony of loneliness. A place of isolation of grief and grief. The very opposite of the joy and togetherness of this wedding. Well, what does this mean? God is offering a place in his kingdom to everyone. Even though it comes to everyone, it's a precious privilege. He wants us at his table as his guests. It would be madness to ignore the invitation. It would be absurd to reject it. But if you say yes to the invitation, you're saying yes to the terms of the the invitation. You can't treat a wedding day like a day at the beach. It's not a come-as-you-are invitation. When we say yes to Jesus, we are saying, yes, I will, invite, I will come as you invite me to come, confessing my sins and clothed in your righteousness, accepting your forgiveness, accepting you as my Lord, willing to, you, willing to do as you command me. You cannot say, I will follow you, Lord, but selectively, on my own terms, as I decide, according to my own judgment. I'm happy to own your name, but I'm not happy to do as you ask. So how will you respond? That's a challenge, not just for those of us who perhaps have never opened the invitation, but to those of us who think we have. Are we wearing the right clothes? Have we come to the banquet appropriately dressed, ready to do as our Lord would have us do, treating the king as the king. It is absurd, of course, to refuse this invitation, though people do. As Jesus said, many are called. Indeed, everyone is invited to this extraordinary wedding banquet. And yet, people do not accept. There's apathy and there's even hostility. And there's even those who want the benefits of the kingdom without obedience to the king. The tragedy is then, as Jesus says in finishing this parable, though many are called, few are chosen. Mysteriously, not all accept the invitation. Mysteriously, not all accept Jesus Christ. So how will you respond? You are invited to take your place in the kingdom of heaven. It's an extraordinary invitation. It's a wonderful privilege. It would be absurd to ignore it. It would be wrong to reject it. So won't you come 
dressed in your wedding clothes and be part of this great banquet. Let me pray. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your invitation to be part of this extraordinary banquet, the invitation to be part of your kingdom, to live under you and to enjoy all the benefits that you give. And we pray for hearts to respond. We pray not to be those who ignore the invitation, who do not see exactly what we're being asked to. We pray not to be those who are hostile. And we pray too to not be those who seek to attend on our own terms. But we pray to come dressed for the occasion, clothed in your righteousness, and ready to do what you ask. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St. Mark's.